As Cameron said, the Bible reading this morning is from 2 Peter 1, verses 1 to 4, which you can find on page 983 of the Church Bibles or follow along on the screen. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who through the righteousness of our God and Saviour Jesus Christ have received a faith as precious as ours. Grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. Promises are powerful, yes? Those little words, I promise, have great capacity uh, for blessing or not blessing. Promises shape our lives, don't they? Promises orient our loves. But most of the promises you hear in this world have another word added to them. If. If you do this, then this will happen. If you clean up your bedroom, then you can go to the movie. If your work team reaches their KPIs, then you'll get a bonus. If you keep me happy, then I will stay with you. If. Most of the promises that our world throws at us are very conditional, aren't they? Very rarely do we have unconditional promises made. Most of them depend upon our delivering first. And sometimes when we think about things in that way, we can smuggle that way of doing things, of understanding things, into the way that we relate to God. If I do this, then God will love me. If I do this, then I will be able to live a godly life. If I have this, we have all these conditions, these ifs. But brothers and sisters, what we're going to read this morning, what we have read in 2 Peter 1 is a wonderful blessing about God's unconditional promises. Promises with ifs basically are law, are they not? If you do this, if you perform, if you keep the rules, whatever the rules might be, then blessing will come. Promises with conditions are laws. But think of the power of the unconditional promise. It takes your eyes off yourself onto the one who makes the promise because an unconditional promise has no if. There is no condition for us to deliver. And our eyes are taken from ourselves and placed onto the one who makes the promise. The one who declares what they will do for us independent of what it is that we actually do in response. It takes our eyes from our capacity to their capacity. 
from our character to their character. I think there's been an election this week. Has anyone noticed that? And did you notice what Donald Trump was declaring? He was making unconditional promises, wasn't he? He was going to make America great again. And more than half of the electoral votes believed him. So President-elect Trump will have an opportunity to show his capacity to deliver. His character that backs up the promise that he has made. And in a couple of years, we will be able to tell whether he is delivering on this promise to make America great again. But so much better than Donald Trump, we have a God who makes promises. A God who shapes our lives around those promises by shaping our loves. A God who gives us, through his promises, everything that we need. We're going to look at this this morning under three headings. First one, great and precious promises. Number two, what is promised? And number three, living as people of the promises. So our first point this morning, great and precious promises. Who is it that makes the promises to us? It's God who makes the promises. And why? Well, Scripture's pretty clear. He doesn't make promises to us because we are particularly lovely. He doesn't make promises to us because we have a capacity to bless him. He makes promises to us in spite of our weaknesses. In 1 Peter 3.18, it says that Jesus Christ was the righteous one who gave himself for the unrighteous one. He gave us promises in spite of our rebellion. He gave them to be received, as it said in verse 1, by faith. He granted them to us or gave them to us in verses 3 and 4 of the passage that we looked at today. He gave them, not because we deserve them, but because his nature is to make and to keep promises. And we read of them there in verses 3 and 4. His divine power, Peter writes, has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, his own glory and goodness, he has given us very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. God gives us very great and precious promises. And these promises give us everything that we need, as he says, for a godly life. For a life that is acceptable to God. For a life that God smiles upon, that a life that God would say, well done. His promises, his unconditional promises, give us everything we need to be acceptable to our God and Father. Do we believe this, though? Do we believe what Peter's saying? That these gracious promises alone give us all that we need. 
do we perhaps look for more? Christian bookstores are full of books that will tell you about the next experience that you need. The Pentecostal movement, I think, has moved beyond second blessings into third and sometimes even fourth blessings. Is there some higher level of Christian experience that we need so that we might be acceptable to God? Well, probably more our style, do we look at ourselves and say, if I can muster up the personal resources, the grit, the tenacity, the discipline to keep going, to press on, then I will be acceptable to God. Do we believe that the answer to that question is no. You don't need these things. God can bless you in extraordinary ways, but you, at the first moment that you are a Christian, the first moment that you put your faith in Christ, that moment you have everything you need to live a life that God smiles upon. Peter talks in verse 1 of people who've received a faith as precious as ours. Now, Peter might be talking here about being a Jew to Gentiles, and he's saying there's no difference between the Gentiles who have faith and the Jews who have faith. Or he might, and probably more likely, be talking about him as an apostle, as one of those 12 men that were with Jesus in his earthly ministry who were then sent out to spread the word about Jesus to the world. And he's saying that you, garden variety Christian, which includes pretty much all of us, you've got a faith that is just as precious as his. But whichever point he's making, what he is saying is that there are no second-class Christians. Every Christian has everything they need through the the precious promises of God. And these promises, these let us share in the divine nature. There, look at verse 4, that you may participate through them in the divine nature. Now, my wife thinks I'm divine. I think she's pretty good too. Yeah, good, glad you laughed at that. That was a joke. What's, What's Peter saying? That we become gods? Well, no, he's not. But what he is saying is that through these promises, you start to take the family likeness. Now, if you've ever met my brothers, you'll know that the family likeness is reasonably strong. And I imagine if you look around and you see families here, you'll see the same thing. I had people repeatedly come up and mistake me for my older brother, which was a bit of a problem because my older brother, I would maintain that if he wasn't a Christian, he'd probably be in jail. Uh, That created all sorts of problems for me. The family likeness was that strong. But in a positive way, through the promises of God, we start to bear the likeness of his son. It's there in Romans 8:29. Those whom God foreknew he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, so that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. So that we as Christ's brothers and sisters, as God's sons and daughters, might bear the family likeness. What a great promise. What a great promise. And through that that we might actually escape 
As Peter writes again, the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. Now, what's the corruption he's talking about? He's either talking about, and he could be talking about both, the physical corruption, death and decay. I'm about to go hiking for a week. I've got a dodgy knee. I've got a cactus back. That kind of corruption and decay as I'm getting into my late 30s. Uh, talk to me in two Sundays' time, see how I went. Talked to one of our resident physios this morning, asked his advice about how I might strap, because it's so long ago that I did that kind of stuff. If you've got any great ideas on looking after the menisci, come and talk to me, please, a bit later. He could be talking about escaping the corruption, the physical corruption, but he also could be talking, and I think probably more likely the spiritual corruption that comes through sin, through humanity in rebellion against God. These promises let us share in the likeness of God, the character of Christ, and escape this corrupt world. And what is it that corrupts the world? He's got a word there that we translate evil desires. Now, when you think about evil desires, what are you thinking about? Probably most of you are thinking about lust and that kind of stuff, anger, hatred. The word literally just means over-desire or misdirected desire. And this is where I think the promise idea comes back. Because I think our hearts get set on promises, don't they? Think about it as a kid. When you were growing up, mum and dad would say, when the holidays come, we're going to go on holiday. We're going to go up to surface paradise or we're going camping out in the outback or whatever. And you'd set your heart on that and that would orient your life. God makes promises. The gods of this world make promises. Kez spoke to us about the prophets of Baal. Baal was a fertility god. If you worship him, your crops will be blessed. Your family will be blessed. God makes promises. The false gods of this world make promises. Sin in its essence is actually rejecting the promise made by the one true God and believing the lies told to you by the gods of this world. And can I actually say, though, when you look at the promises made by the gods of this world, every single one of them has an if in there, doesn't it? They're all conditional. Every single one of them depends upon your faithful worship. But if you know the story of the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel, you know that you can dance around, you can slash yourself with swords, you can scream out at the top of your voice to Baal to answer you, and he will not deliver you. But Elijah called upon the one true God, and fire came. Great and precious promises. Our second point, what is promise? The Bible is full of promises. It starts with promises, doesn't it? God blesses his people. He says, I will bless you. He says to Abraham, he says to Isaac, he says to Jacob, he says to Israel, I will be your God, you will be my people. He says to Joshua, I will never leave or forsake you. He says to you and to me, you are heirs with 
Christ. You are sons, you are daughters. There is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. I will pour out my spirit, he says in Joel 2, upon all flesh. Promise after promise after promise after promise. I've given you just a, just a snapshot. But the amazing thing is that Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 1.20... No matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. God makes promises and in Christ he has kept every single one of them. Does that amaze you? It's not that God will keep his promises, it's that God has kept his promises. Does that amaze you? He has given us Christ. Because the ultimate promise, the promise that keeps all promises, is the promise of the gospel. The promise where God delivers on everything. In Romans 8, verse 32, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Paul reminds us that the gospel is a guarantee, a guarantee that God will deliver us, God will give us everything that he has promised. Do we doubt that? But not only is the gospel a guarantee, the gospel is the fulfillment. Ephesians chapter 1 speaks of every spiritual blessing that is ours in Christ. God has given us his very great and precious promises, not just as a ticket to heaven so that we might go and be with him when we, when we die, but he opens the door through the gospel promise to himself. Do we actually see that? 1 Peter 3.18, Christ suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous. What for? To bring you to God. He doesn't say to take you to heaven. To bless you in this life. To bring you to God. God is the gospel. The best news is that through the work of Christ, his death for sin, his victorious resurrection, that God is our God. That we are his. Does that amaze you? Or is it just old news? Heard it before. Someone asked, if you could go to heaven and all the blessings of heaven were there, you know, read the end of the book of Revelation. No more tears, no more pain, no more dodgy knees, no more cactus backs. All those things gone away. Everything's set right, but God wasn't there. Would that be okay with you? J.C. Ryle, Anglican Archbishop of Canterbury, I think he was, about 150 years ago, he said this. He's speaking of people who speak of going to heaven. He says, alas, how little fit for heaven are many who talk of going to heaven when they die while they manifestly have no saving faith and no real acquaintance with Christ. 
You give Christ no honour here. You have no communion with him. You do not love him. Alas, what could you do in heaven? It would be no place for you. Its joys would be no joys for you. Its happiness would be a happiness into which you could not enter. Its employments would be a weariness and a burden to your heart. God is the gospel. The good news that we can be his people and he through Christ is our God. Do we delight that God's promises bring us God himself? Not just stuff, not just blessing, but they bring us him himself. Jesus promises that his spirit will come and dwell in us. And then when that happens in John 14, 23, he says, we will come to them. That's the father and the son and make our home with them. Do we think of our Christian faith as an abstract thing? Or is it an intensely personal thing? Our last point, how do we live as people of the promise? Firstly, like with any promise, you have to actually believe it. You actually have to let it shape not only your actions, but your loves. So that our hearts are set on the one who makes that promise. Allow him to capture our hearts. Because this world will make promises. The gods of this world will stand up and say, we can do it better. Who are we going to believe? Where is blessing found? Where is true security found? Where will you look for meaning and purpose, the thing that you crave? Will you look and believe the promises of the gods of this world? Or you will believe the promises of the one true God? We have to live holding to those promises, living in light of them. Living each day with him at the centre. We need to resist turning his promises into conditional promises. We need to keep grace front and centre. We need to go back and allow ourselves to be amazed again and again and again that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We need to live by faith. But we need to live knowing God. I don't know if you noticed, as it was read for us in 2 Peter, those couple of verses, knowing God came up again and again, just in a handful of verses. And when the Bible speaks about knowing, it is intensely personal. It's not like saying, I know algebra. It's like saying, I know Andrew. Intensely personal. Not, I know about Andrew, I know stuff biographically, but I know him. And that is what we are called to know. The God who makes these promises. The God whose promises 
bring us into fellowship with him. And how do we do that? Well, the first thing about knowing someone, what do you do when you you meet someone for the first time? You, You ask them things, don't you? What's your name? You're married, you're not married. What do you do during the week? Kids? You find out all those kind of details. Okay, and you're relying upon what they tell you. God has shown himself to us in his word. We have all that information and more in spades as God tells us about himself in his word. But it's not only the Bible. Because as we come out of scripture, we live with God. And what you will find again and again and again is that what our experience is, it shows that God is true. When God says, I am faithful, you talk to any Christian and they will tell you of the faithfulness of God. You know it through the Bible primarily. We know it, we know him in our experience. We know it in the experiences of others, don't we? When my brothers and sisters come and tell me how God has been faithful to them. We grow in our knowledge as we walk each day with him. And we abound, as Peter writes, as he wishes for them, we abound in grace and peace through that knowledge. An everyday experience for ourselves. Grace, I've got nothing to prove. Because in Christ, God has accepted me as his child. Peace, not anxiety, not worry, not guilt. Peace, because through Christ we have peace with God. Because there is no condemnation. We have it for ourselves, but we have it in relationships with each other. The danger that we have is that we can work as the world works. We make promises with lots of ifs. We do it in our friendships, we do it in our families, we do it in our marriages. If you deliver, then I will deliver. But you know what? Because we have an unconditional God who makes unconditional promises that we receive by faith, it actually allows us to operate like he does. Because I can say, I will choose to bless you Because God has blessed me. I'm not looking, you're not looking, to get back. Not that it's wrong to get back, but it lets us press on in the hard situations. Because we have the unconditional love of our Father. So brothers and sisters, over the next couple of weeks, we are going to spend some time, we are going to unpack these first few verses of 2 Peter chapter 1. We're going to spend some time digging into the difference that these great and precious promises make to us. But as we do that, know that we stand because our God makes unconditional promises and he has kept them for us in Christ. Let's pray. Lord, we ask that you would be blessing us, 
You'll be blessing us by drawing us back again and again and again to the love that you have for us in Christ. The promises that you made to us through him. The standing we have as your children. Lord, as we live as people of the promise, may we delight in knowing you more. May we trust you against the false claims of the false gods of this world. And may we live evermore with grace and peace abounding to us through our knowledge of you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to sing in response. So if I could ask the band to rematerialize on stage. Very appropriately, a song called My Life is an Offering. So please stand.